White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 551. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. Hey everyone, we are back with another installment of the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, the podcast with the longest name in podcasting, talking about the latest Babylon 5 episodes in our rewatch of the series. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined by my regular co-host, Andy Fix. Welcome back aboard, Andy. Thank you, sir. How are you doing tonight? I'm very good. I'm excited to be here. We, we've got three, how shall we put it? We've got three very prominent, very... Um, Big time. I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is. Episodes to get to. They're, they're not. They're not the Mutai. You know what I mean? They're they're, <laughs> right. they're they're the big time episodes. Yeah, they're the 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 A squad. Yeah, no kidding. But you know the interesting thing. Uh, I had an I had a different reaction to all three of them than I was expecting to have. And we haven't talked about this yet. I'm curious to see what your reaction to these was. If it was the same, if it was what you expected, if it was the same as you know in the last time you watched them or whatever. Because mine was a little bit different, and it 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 may be because I've seen these episodes more often. You know, these are what we would call the rewatchables. I guess you know these are these yeah. three are the more you're more likely to go back and watch from season one as opposed to like Infection. So. <laughs> One of the one of the things that you and I have been tracking as we've done season one, right, is the ones we didn't like originally. We found we liked better than we expected. Is this correct? This is correct. Well, with a couple of exceptions. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> but but tonight we're going to look at three that I expected to love, and we're going to see if that has if for either you or me if that has changed. So I think it's going to be very, very interesting. So I, I'm excited for this conversation now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Me too. This should be fun. This should be fun. By the way, our show has been growing. We're getting, we're getting uh, an increasing number of downloads on the uh, Babylon5Review.Podbean.com site, which is where the show streams from at Podbean. Podbean. By the way, I've, one of my pet peeves of listening to people that listening to podcasts has always been when people will say uh, a, a, an address or a name that you kind of need as a listener to have, and they, I guess they assume you know it, and they say it very quickly, and you can't understand what they're saying. So <laughs> right. it is the, the, the home of this show where the episodes emanate from is called Babylon5Reviews.Podbean.com. And, of course, it goes from there out to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and all the other places you get your podcasts. But we also have www.b5reviews. But the other thing, and this is what I've said at the beginning of every episode, 
is that we've I've also been posting our episodes to the White Rocket Entertainment Network main channel, main feed. And I'm continuing to do that because it's getting at least as many downloads there as it's getting on its own channel. And the two together is pretty substantial. So I just want to tell everybody I appreciate you listening. Uh, Andy and I appreciate that our work here every couple of weeks is is being rewarded by people enjoying it. And we welcome your feedback. We would love to hear uh, what you have to say back. We're both on Twitter and we are at, at Van Allen Plexico. And yours, what is yours on Twitter? Uh, Andy Fix BFG on Twitter yeah. or Andy Fix Writer. I have there. two Twitter accounts because I'm special like that. There you go. Very good. And uh, yeah, or hey, um, yeah. I, Van, I, I did hear that we are the number one highest rated Babylon 5 themed podcast on the White Rocket Entertainment Network. <laughs> well, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, we're doing very well. I'm very excited. I appreciate you guys listening and, um, and can spread the word. Let folks know. Uh, we are, for the foreseeable future, here on, uh, on the various podcast feeds and on those two websites. Um, I, I also wanted to mention, as we talked about it before, that we're going to do a season wrap-up episode. So when we get through Chrysalis, which is episode 22 of season one, we're going, or if you're, or if you're following on HBO, they call it 23, but that's because they count that the pilot movie, The Gathering, as one, and they count Midnight on the Firing Line as two, which just gives me a headache, and I just can't deal with that. But technically, <laughs> Chrysalis is number season one, episode 22. After we do our review in two weeks from tonight for um, the the last two, including Chrysalis. We are then going to do a season wrap-up episode, which will go to our patrons first and then out to the regular audience. But we're going to try not to interrupt our regular flow along the way. So we hope you'll join us for that. We'll have a guest or two on to join us to talk about season one. All right. Uh, Do you have any announcements before we get going? I do not, sir. Good. All right. Let's get right on into it then. By the way, remember, we've added a spoiler section as of the last episode or two. And that's at the very end. We will give a very obvious warning, and so if you haven't watched beyond the three episodes we're talking about tonight, you will want to bail out there probably and maybe come back and listen to it at some other time once you've gotten further through the show. So we will give you a warning when we get into the spoilers for folks who've watched the series. All right, into episode 118, again according to the order it was originally aired, 118 is the first of our first two-parter. I think Babylon 5 has maybe two two-parters in the entire run of the show. I think it's just two. I can't think of more than two. Maybe I'm forgetting right. something. And, um, and it's called A Voice in the Wilderness Part 1. And I'll go ahead and throw out one little factoid about it, is that the reason they have a two-parter is that JMS said... Joe Straczynski said that they had taken maybe The Gathering, which was like the length of two regular episodes, and it had been aired somewhere in Europe as a movie and did very well. And so they thought if we do a two-parter, we can glue it together and put that out there and you know attract more viewers that way. And so that's why they did this. And... It was directed by Janet Greek, who's going to be a mainstay. There's like a stable of six or seven directors that are just going to pop up a lot, and this is the first time we see Janet Greek. Written, of course, by Joe Straczynski, as are, I believe, all the remaining episodes, 18 through 22 of this season. I think that's right. I think we've seen our last Dottilio for this for this season. No more Joe <laughs> and Sunspots until season two. Um, so I guess 
do you want to do the summary? You want me to do the summary of this one? I can do the summary. This uh, uh, this is a th- this has three. If I remember correctly, has three plots to it. It's got an A, a B, and a C. Mm-hmm. Um, it is chock full of plot. I mean, it's it is nonstop plot. So the the uh, episode starts out with the there. There's a couple. It, it, you really don't know what the A plot's going to be right away. Right. Um, they have the revolt on Mars. There's news coming through of a revolt on Mars. And Mr. Garibaldi, who was stationed on Mars and apparently has a, a an ex there, and he's mm-hmm. trying to get through to her. Uh, in the meantime, there is seismic activity in on the, the planet that Babylon 5 orbits, uh, a planet that was assumed to be uh, inert with no life forms or no sorts of seismic activity going on. So that's a big mystery. And then the C plot, or yeah, the C plot is uh, one of um, Delenn's mentors, uh, Drawl, uh, a Minbari um, religious caste, has come to ba- Babylon Five to bid her farewell because he's going on the the great journey. Um, and then, of course, in Babylon Five fashion, all three of those intertwine and become one big story. So, um, yeah, it's 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 uh, high action and a lot of uh, a lot of they, they throw a lot of information at you. They really do. Yeah, we learned that the uh, the planet that the station. Or, by the way, I wasn't even entirely sure the planet or that, that the station orbited a planet. It never quite made sense to me. It's supposed to be sort of a deep space station, not to borrow a phrase from another franchise, but yet it's orbiting a planet, so that's fine. Um, it's called Epsilon Three. So um, we see uh, a couple of um, guest stars. I'll get to in just a second. In, um, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Let's get them out of the way. You have Louis Turin as Drawl and Kurt Lowens as Varn. So you have a couple of very interesting names of characters, Drawl and Varn. I swear, every time I see Varn, I keep thinking that like it's the, the uh, Vern from those kids' movies. You know? <laughs> I kept thinking, wait, what are they going to find out? They're going to find Vern? Oh, my gosh. You know, but no, 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 it's not. All right, so that's... that's um, that's what's going on. I do like the idea of um, that there's something going on in this planet, and it could have ramifications for the future. That's a pretty darn cool premise for an episode. The rest is kind of like standard Babylon 5 character plot, so that's fine. Right. All right. Let's get into the categories. What is your high point of this episode? I, you know, I had two high points. Um, the the main high point was the big reveal of the giant machinery underneath the planet. I thought that scene was really... Mm-hmm. Very well done. Um, I mean, it, it it made them. I mean, everything that we've seen on Babylon Five so far within the station has been very. We've even commented on how cheaply the sets look and how how small everything feels because they just don't have the budget for anything bigger. Well, when they go down the planet and they walk out in that that big room showing all the the towers of machinery, you know, miles high, that was really impressive. I thought that was really well done. I thought that was cool. Um, my other uh, high high point, and this is kind of a small one. Is is Doctor Tasaki? I mean, I love that character. He is he is <laughs> to geography and, and geology what Indiana Jones is to archaeology. I mean, he's <laughs> like an adventurer geologist. He's awesome. It's funny you should mention Indiana Jones because that actually ties into something I'm about to say. That's crazy that you that you happen to do that. That's actually <laughs> true. Um, I got to say a couple of things. All right, they go inside the great machine down there, and I was going to say it's very impressive. Certainly for 1994, I guess when this aired, in that once your brain, once you've watched enough Babylon Five, your brain adjusts to this is how things look on Babylon Five. 
So the fact that, you know, think about the Loki show that's airing currently. Um, the inside of the Marriott in Atlanta, where we have DragonCon every year, is where they filmed a lot of Loki. And you're actually inside a big open space with crazy walls and little elevator things going up and down like we're in, you know. But it, but it actually looks real because it is real. When you compare right. that to this part of Babylon 5, Babylon 5 looks very fake. But again, when your brain is in the Babylon 5 world, I feel like the stuff that should look fake to us, we buy it because we're like, that's what things look like in the Babylon 5 world. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we expect the spaceships to look the way they look. We expect the... And this is like the first time they've really done a big interior, right? We've seen a lot of exteriors in CGI on Babylon 5, but this was really JMS wanting to do an interior shot that was just a completely fant- fantastical, you know, they're, the, the humans are the only thing that's composite, composited in, real. Everything else is, is CGI, and it, it works, I thought. Yeah, it absolutely did. And... The interesting thing, here's another little factoid. I'm going to burn through all my factoids as they come up, but that's fine. Um, and that leads me to another thing. But I, got, I, I have more to say about this episode than I thought I did. Um, <laughs> J, yeah, it's crazy. JMS asked them to come up with three samples of the interior, and he would pick the one he thought looked the best. And he said that two of them were just kind of like walking along a trail through like a crystal forest or something. Which sounds like you know something out west, like in the Grand Canyon or the Petrified Forest or something. He right. said, this was the only one that felt like you were in a big room with giant machines, but it had to be shot from above, not from the side. The others were shot from the side. This was shot from above. You're looking down. Yeah. And so he liked that, and that's why you're looking down at like Sinclair and, and Ivanova when they crossed the bridge is because it's the only way they could, they could film it, that, they could do it that way. So that was pretty cool. Um, I, you mentioned Indiana Jones. I think that my high point of the episode might have been the Raiders of the Lost Ark style tunnel that led to the machine. So I'm just yeah. like a, I'm just a couple of minutes ahead of you there, you know, before you, where where yep. they're having to dodge the lasers and everything. It felt like the blue light that um, that Doc Ock got killed by in the first opening part of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, <laughs> with the, 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 Doc the Ock. yeah, it was Doc Ock. It, I can't think yeah. of his name, but. Uh, yeah, the, you know, you pass through the blue light and the spikes come out and get you. And yep. that's what those lasers reminded me of. So um, so that was probably my high point. But honestly, and again, this gets me to my last thing I wanted to say here. Sorry, I'm kind of taking up too much time, but there were, these, you, you've kind of triggered several things in me. i got to get out. So here we go. I blame you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now, here's the other thing. I had a very hard time filling out our categories for these three episodes, particularly these two. I'm- I did too. I had a much harder time than I've been having. And it made me start to wonder, as we go forward, now you and I know that season two, there's some changes and things are ramping up a little bit. But there's a lot of, it's not a spoiler just to say, there's a lot of season two that are fairly episodic like a lot of season one. So we're going to get to enjoy some more kind of one-off a plots. There'll be, you know, there's again, there's stuff building up in the background more and more and more, and it's great. But there's a fair number of one-off a plots in season two. I don't worry about that. What I'm worried about is as the stories get bigger and more interconnected, like these, I'm worrying our categories aren't going to work as well anymore. Do you have any, what? Do you, what's your reaction to that? Is that am I crazy or I don't know? I, I see what you're saying. I think what was so hard about these two in particular was they were a two-part 
story. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of hard to break it down when it's really just one two-hour episode. Like you yeah. said, it was it was you know done this way intentionally as a as a movie as mm-hmm. as a feature film. So um, I, I I don't know. I, <laughs> It'll be interesting to see once we get into season two. I know they're all interconnected, you know, as, as part of the bigger over overarching uh, storyline. But I think that there's enough meat in the the individual episodes still that that we can still do this. But I could be completely wrong. Well, yeah, I, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see. But like I said, I, I think that we've got plenty of episodes ahead of us that will work fine. All you really need is like a good solid a plot, I think, to work to keep working our formula. We'll see what happens. It'll be a while right. to worry about it. But this but this was just different. I, I think you're right. There's something to it being a two-parter, and there's something to it being kind of a, uh, like you said, a lot of plot, right? That, that entered into it, too. I had a hard time picking things right. this time. There, there, I, is I no, there, there is no fat anymore on, on these episodes. I yeah. mean, it's, it's lean, and it is, it is, uh, it's all protein. I mean, it's, it's heavy with the plot. It's true. But you know what? Here's the thing, though. On the other hand, I got to thinking... Because I'll go ahead and spill the beans a little bit now. I didn't enjoy this two-parter as much as I thought I would, as much as I have in the past. And I think it's because of this. In the past, I've looked at the at Voice in the Wilderness 1 and 2. I've looked at it as that cool two-part episode where we learn a lot of cool stuff. We learn about Epsilon 3. We learn about Drawl. We learn about all these things, right? We learn some cool stuff. And so I got into it, and I'm looking at it the way we've been kind of evaluating these episodes, breaking them down into the high points, low points, and all that. It's just not that great of a story. It's not that great of a one-off story. I right. mean, they, they, there's some earthquakes. They go down and get this alien. They bring down a different alien. He takes over. That's pretty... I mean, that's it, yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, what... <laughs> What there, the? There's a there's a lot of plot. There's not much story. I mean, it's there's, yeah. You know, a story has you know all the elements of a story, but but they just it's very boom 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 next 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 next. But but like you said, there's not a whole lot to it. I mean, it it's a lot of action, but it's as far as the story goes, it's it's kind of uh, flimsy. There's no conflict except for one exception. Right. There's one exception. Right. But there's no conflict. I mean, I mean, think about this. If if Drawl had shown up to visit Delin and Nerun had come too, and Nerun had been like, "You will not go down there, Drawl. We need you," and then there'd have been like a big there'd have been a big argument over it, and Delin would have to step in. That would have been interesting. But this Drawl's like, "No, I'll do it." And everybody's like, "Oh, cool, okay." There's right. no conflict. The only conflict in these two episodes, really, other than Garibaldi arguing with the telephone operator or whatever, which is <laughs> not that exciting, honestly. The only conflict is when the is in episode two when the when the EA captain when the Earth captain shows up and right. thank goodness he shows up. I'm like, oh, finally something something to rub against. You know, you you need a you need a, a contrary force. Yeah, and and at least Sinclair got to argue with him a little bit and threatened to blow him up. You know that? I, okay, <laughs> now now we're talking, right? Now we're talking. But other than that, yeah. So. Okay, well, that was my high point. Was probably for this one was just, just the cool Raiders of the Lost Ark stuff that Ivanova and and, and Sinclair Claire got to do. What was your low point? This is really I'm curious about this because again, it was all very even. There wasn't a lot of high, wasn't a lot of low. Right. The only low point I really found in this one was there was a scene when uh, they were making a run for the planet and they had to distract the uh, planet's defenses. So they had a, the Star Furies had to turn their guns on the planet. Mm-hmm. Now, normally, when something the size of a of a starfighter shoots at something the size of a planet, you don't see the impacts from space. 
<laughs> and and it wasn't even I mean the, they weren't even like you know converging as, as they went further down they they hit the planet exactly how they left the Star Fury's guns and it made yeah. the planet feel very flat and fake that's fair absolutely I hadn't thought of it that way I guess I guess in my brain I wasn't because you're right it had to be hitting the planet but in my brain I'm always like it's hitting some kind of force field way out in orbit which is what it looked like right right yeah. it wasn't doing any damage to the planet. <laughs> it looked like it was it like the planet had a force field it was hitting. So you're right. I absolutely agree. Mine was very similar to that. Mine was the missiles. I just yeah. I, yeah. I mean I, I understand they use missiles because, you know, then you got something to dodge or get away from as opposed to if it was a beam weapon like come out of the shadow ships, they they'd have been dead. Right. So you needed something you could that could chase you and you could get away from. So the missiles made sense from a plot point of view. They just didn't look very good. Yeah, and it didn't make sense from a technology point of view. If they were, if this technology was so advanced that everybody was going to want in on it, uh, you know, World War II era missiles or yeah. Korean War era missiles, yes. it, it, yeah, it was a little clumsy. I should have a note on the side of the missile. Werner von Braun sends his regards. Right. <laughs> right. Oh wow! Yeah, the the Narns are going to be lining up to get a hold of that technology. Wow. Uh, yeah. All right. So I agree. All right. So. Um, Oh, we're to the Oren Zento slash Ari Ben Zeno overacting award. I love that Ari's got his uh, got his name on here now. The Oren Zento right. Ari Ben Zane overacting award. I, I had a tough time with this one. I did too. I I, I thought every I thought all the actors were really draw was a little bit over dramatic sometimes in his delivery, but I, I don't think it was egregious. I, I really mm-hmm. didn't have one for this category. Honestly, draw to me. I agree with you. Was like Neroon in that they both play these sort of arch, know-it-all Minbari in different ways, and yet that's the character, so I can't really complain. It's not like they were playing them like Ari Benzane, right? Where it's right. not it's not like Drawl was going around going, I'll blow up this planet, mister! You know, it wasn't into <laughs> that. It was, it, was, uh, it was, yeah. So the only one who's acting even stood out to me as like, uh, was the, the chief scientist pilot guy that we were talking about before. He was a little stiff, just a little awkward, but not, again, he wasn't any more egregious in that way than I think Drawl was in the other way. So I'm, I'm going to agree with you that there really isn't a winner of this, and there doesn't have to be every time, so. All right, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little offended that you took a swipe at Doctor Tasaki. Doctor Tasaki, that I couldn't remember Doc- his name. Yeah, he should get his own spinoff show. He was awesome. <laughs> well, you know, he would have fit in really well on Crusade. He would have. Yeah, he should have. I been thought one he of was. Their, I yeah. thought he was charismatic. He had an attitude. He's like, let's go do this. Let's go get him. Yeah, I, I loved him. And he he didn't really feel that much like that he had to obey anything of Ivanova told him, which is pretty cool. Because he, he stood up to Ivanova and was not intimidated. That alone deserves a, a spinoff episode. <laughs> I like it. All right, you've won me over on on, <laughs> on Doctor Tasaki. Uh, let's see, what was your most Babylon Five scene for the first uh, first part? The most Babylon Five moment was probably the the whole Mars revolt thing, all the the little tid, and it was kind of spread throughout the episode. But you learned a lot about the Mars situation, and uh, and it got real serious real, real quick. And I thought that was that was uh, it spoke to the overarching political you know stuff that's going on in the background on on Earth. So I like that. I thought that was a neat insight into how things were going back home. And honestly, I had forgotten both how early the Mars stuff gets going this far back. I'm like, whoa, we're already into Mars having riots and 
you yeah. know, martial law and stuff, and we're just we're not even the end of season one. That that kind of I'd forgotten that, and I'd forgotten how early Lise Hampton starts becoming an important character. I was I, can't, right. I think of, I think of her like season four or something, you know. Right. And I'm like, well, whoa. She, would, she yeah she his her relationship with with Garibaldi was the start of his his. Uh, character art his big uh yeah character change i mean you know you can look back a few episodes of when he you know kind of fell off the wagon and started drinking again mm-hmm. um but he kind of overcame that and, and didn't mm-hmm. really change after that he, he came back to being just mr garibaldi in fact to the point where he wasn't drinking anymore but this yeah. you could see something changing in garibaldi's character when he was right that scene when he was talking to lease um yeah. you, you could you could see that it was uh it, it where where things were going Absolutely. Yeah, you know, um, that was one problem I probably should have mentioned, and I don't think I did with, I think it was Survivors, and the fact that I can remember what Survivors was about now shows how far we've come, that I can actually, because <laughs> that was one I can't ever remember. You tell me that title, I'm like, I have no idea what happens. After. I think Survivors is the one where Garibaldi, uh, his um, the, the young lady that was like the security chief or whatever comes, yep, and, that, when and, they, yeah. the, and that's when he starts drinking. And I thought, right. I, st- I wanted to say at the time, and I forgot, that I thought having him start drinking in a one-off episode and then stop again, I, I guess that's fair, but it felt like it wasted, it felt like it minimized something about him that should have been bigger. I look at it as foreshadowing. Okay. All right. Well, that's the other way to look at it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. My most Babylon Five scene was just like what you mentioned earlier—the the inside of the Great Machine. I just figure like that's so JMS that he'd have like a big underground machine from an ancient alien civilization, and you know he's even said that um, somebody asked him, "Did Varn's civilization, the guy that was in the machine at the beginning of the episode, did he did they build the machine?" And he's like, "I don't think so." He says, "I think they found it." just like anybody else and it's been around a long time so we don't really know where the great machine came from which is interesting i kind of like that i kind of like it um it could have been one of the first one things in the galaxy if that makes any sense hmm yep yeah Uh, because the the varns people have only been dead for like 500 years right so, I mean, you'd figure that, you know, the Minbari who have been spacefaring for almost that long would, would have known about them if, mm. if they were that important that they had this great advanced machinery. But, yeah, I, I think, like you said, they were just caretakers of something they found. Yeah, yeah, that was hidden there a long time ago. All right, let's see. What have you got for your favorite character moment? And I found several little ones. There were a lot of little ones, but my favorite one was Londo's story to Garibaldi when uh, he was telling about his his first marriage <laughs> yeah i thought that was pretty good that had to be timov right i'm i'm very confident he was speaking of timov when he said i think that. so yeah it was the the dancer that he fell in love with and then when he woke up the next morning he wanted to chew his arm off right instead because of wake her up yeah that but the, it, the it, go ahead go ahead well, the the voice that he uses for for hit for that woman sounds like timov when she's like right Landa? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds like timov but I thought, you know, it, it's a classic first season uh, uh, Londo moment because um, it's funny and buffoonish and he tells the silly mm-hmm. story, but you see a little bit of the darkness creeping in as well. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. That's right. That's right. Uh, for those that don't want spoilers, you'll find out soon enough who Timov is. Trust me. It's just the name of the person <laughs> we think. We're not even sure, but we think he was talking about there. 
but you'll see soon enough. Uh, let's see. I, I agree. That was my number one was Londo giving, telling, telling Garibaldi the story and then leaving him with the bill for his drink. Don't leave that part out. Right. St- <laughs> right. Sticking, sticking him with the bill. Um, but I also liked when Londo told uh, Delin and Drawl, I guess it was, he, he talked about the Narn. He said, they hate us, we hate them, and so here we are, victims of mathematics. I thought that was a very yeah. good line. And yeah. then, of course, there's also, finally, Ivanova is always right, that whole speech, which is another T-shirt. <laughs> right, exactly. It and is. that is, that's another one that happened a lot earlier than I thought it would. I was like, oh, my God, that's her other line. <laughs> yeah, she gets both of her big little speeches in the first season. I was shocked. Yeah. But, yeah, both of those became T-shirts very quickly. I saw those all over the place over the years. All right, let's see. What was? Yeah, this is an interesting one. What was your funniest moment in part one? My funniest moment was the elevator scene yeah. when Talia and Sinclair are walking to the elevator, and she says, "It just seems like he always know when I'm when I'm going to be on that elevator." And Sinclair's like, "He's not psychic. Don't worry about it." Then the elevator door opens, and he's standing there with that lecherous smile on his face. And she looks at him. And she goes, "I think I'll take the stairs." And he looks back and says, "I think I'll join you." <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah, that was my number one listing too. Um, the problem I had, the thing, all right, there's a thing I like about it and there's a thing I don't like about it. The thing I like about it is it kind of turns the tables on Talia that somebody seems to be psychic towards her right. for a change. So that's cool. And, of course, there's the subtext that in real life they were married. Right. Either after this or during this or somewhere around in this point they got married. Right. The two of the actors. Um, the, the negative I have with it is, I wish that when the elevator doors had opened, he had just been standing there casually and acted kind of surprised to see her. Right. But instead, he acted like he knew, which makes me think that he was doing it on purpose, like he was waiting somewhere and keeping tabs on her, and that gets kind of creepy. Right, exactly. So I don't know what <laughs> is, to make of it. He is chief of security, and it, yeah. it would be in character for him to do that, too. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I just... The whole kind of grinning and doing the little wave and all, I just, I'm like, I don't know what you're trying for here, but it, it's creeping me out. So yeah, that was weird. Uh, a couple other quick ones. Um, I like when uh, what's the what's the scientist's name? Sasaki. Sasaki. I can't ever get that right. He says, "What better way to go out than advancing the cause of science?" And Ivanova says, "Is this a multiple choice right. question?" <laughs> that was good. She always gets a good line. And then the other one was Londo says to Sinclair, "If you find anything valuable down there, will you tell me?" And Sinclair goes. No. No. <laughs> and he says, just wanted to make sure I know where we stand. Right. So that's that was great. That was great. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, we said notable guest stars. Let's see. A few factoids. Oh, yeah. JMS said that he figured people would compare the bridge scene to Forbidden Planet, but he was willing to take the, take the blow on that because it was better than his other options. He's like, you know, I'm, they're going to say that, but he's like, you know, it would, it would have been worse if I'd gone a different direction. So that makes sense. You know, um, and I didn't even pick up on that. I love Forbidden Planet when I was a kid, and I completely, now that you mention it, yeah, I, I can see where where that would come in, but I, I thought it was cool. Well, I'm going to mention another one then. I had this at the bottom of my list, but since we're talking about it, um, there is a, okay, well, first, there's a science fiction author named Glenn Cook, and he's... Yep. Best known for writing the Black Company fantasy novels, but he's written a lot of other stuff, too. He lives in St. Louis, near me, and I see him every year at Archon, the St. Louis convention, and we talk and chit-chat and do panels together and stuff. Very nice man. 
very smart. He, it's funny. He and his wife have a giant collection of books, and they come every year and just have the whole corner of the dealer room just selling their paperbacks, and they do quite well making <laughs> money every year. But uh, but I, I went. I was talking to Glenn one time because they they this was about the time they reissued um, a bunch of his books. A, a new publisher. Um, I can't remember who it was that put them out back in the eighties. But he has a trilogy called the Starfishers trilogy, which is called which is Shadowline. Shadowline is is interesting. It's like if Dune was told through the lens of Ragnarok in the in the uh, Norse mythology, which is very interesting. And right. then the second one is Starfishers, and the third one is Stars End. Well, in Stars End, and I'll make this very brief because I know folks aren't that thrilled. But this is a very good trilogy if you want to go out and get it. If, if you like Babylon Five, you'll probably like the Starfishers trilogy from Glenn Cook. Um, in Star's End, there's this planet that is abandoned, and it's like a fortress, an ancient fortress world, and nobody can land on it because whenever any spaceship gets close to it, missiles come flying up and blow up the spaceships trying to land on it. So it's huh. always been thought it has great technology and, and wealth on it, but it's on autopilot, and it blows up with missiles anything that gets close to it. And that I sounds was, familiar. Yeah, and I said to Glenn I said a couple of years ago, I said... Lynn, did you, I said, you watch Babylon 5, right? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I like Babylon 5. I said, did did a voice in the wilderness remind you of anything? And he goes, no. And I said, stars in? And he goes, oh, I never thought about that. I'm like, it's the first <laughs> thing I thought of when I watched this episode. I'm like, hey, that's that book. So he it didn't bother him. I don't think he's ever sued Warner or anything. So right. it's probably just one of those things where... I mean, I bet J. I don't. I don't know if JMS ever even read it. You know what I mean? Or if he did, he probably just threw it in his back of his brain and then never thought of it again. Because right, I, I know in I know in a number of my novels, I've put stuff in and then later on gone, oh, I bet so and so inspired that, but I wasn't right. conscious of it at the time. You know, so that may have been it or not. Who knows? But that's if you read, if any of our listeners have read Stars End or you go and read it. Hit us up and let me know what you think, if I'm way off base or not. It's been 40 years since I read it, so I don't remember exactly, but that that premise always stuck out to me. Uh, Let's see. We find out that Sinclair grew up on Mars and that Susan had relatives there, too. Uh, And he was born on Mars, if if I recall He was born on Mars, and he spent three years with the Jesuits, I think, or did we find that out here or somewhere? We found that out. Uh, One of these two episodes, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh, this was interesting. When they figure out that there may be alien life on, on, on Epsilon 3, Sinclair and Ivanova are going to go. And JMS talked about that once and said that it was because the war with the Minbari started because they didn't have a first contact person knowing how to react. And right. that's what caused that conflict is that the military people overreacted without somebody there to tell them, you know, calm down. This is a sh- show of respect. You know, they're not threatening you, this, that, and the other. So now the, right. rule, the, rule, the rules are now, if there's a potential first contact situation, you have to have command staff that's had training. Right. So that, that's why they went and didn't just send down some security people or, or something like that. I thought that was interesting. Yep. Um, I was curious why Sinclair and Ivanova didn't detect any life forms inside the cavern until they actually met at least one. And we do know there may be more than one in there, but uh, I can't say exactly who or why or when. But we do know there may be more than one living form inside that uh, cavern, but they didn't detect anybody. That could have been the machinery interfering with stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be generous and, and charitable and say that. Uh, we had a <laughs> right. opportu- we had another opportunity that we could have seen Major Atumbe because with Sinclair and Ivanova down on the planet's surface, it was like Garibaldi was in charge, wasn't it? It was. He was. 
But he's he's not an officer. He's a warrant officer. He's a different branch type thing. Yeah. So I'm not sure who should have been in charge other than Major Tumbe and no yeah, Major Yeah, Fakoto was again busy and could not film those scenes. <laughs> oh, he would have been so great. He would have been so great. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Oh, this was interesting. So they have the cave-in. Remember there's a cave-in and all the rock comes in and blocks the way out of the tunnel? So they have yep. no, Sinclair and Ivana have no choice but to go in. And then like five minutes later, they're back on the shuttle flying out. And I'm like, well, what happened? It, it, just minutes, just seconds before that, Sinclair says, or Ivanova says, we have to do this. We have to do this. We have to dig our way out. We got to do this. There's no way we're going to be able to do it. And then suddenly they're just on the shuttle, like you said. And it's like, wait a minute. What, did I miss the scene? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, JMS's answer to that is that there were other ways out. And Ver, uh, Varn told them how to get out. He just didn't feel like spending time in the episode having Varn say, turn left here, turn right here. And I'm like, okay, but why didn't it? Uh, I, I'm, I, it would have taken one sentence of Varn just saying, I can show you a back way out. A back, That's all we'll they would have said. We'll go out the back way. That's exactly yeah. right. There you go. I, yeah, I, I knew I didn't, didn't buy that answer completely. All right. right, I think that's all of my factoids. Do you have any that we, that we haven't hit? No, sir, I do not. Hmm. Well, I, there weren't as many as usual here, and we did cover a lot of them on the way through, so there you go. Right, um, right. All right, well, who won this episode? <laughs> You're going to hate me for this, but I think Dr. Tasaki won the episode. I agree. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I have the scientist guy. Yes. Oh, that's funny. Yes. He even got the coolest. He got the coolest costume too. His outfit rocked. I mean, he yeah. was an action scientist. He was ready to rock and roll. He needed a fedora. So every scene he was in, he totally owned. I mean, I think yeah. I think he he absolutely won that. He needed a fedora and a bullwhip. But other than that, right? Yeah. No. I the reason I have is he risked his life foolishly more than once and didn't die. Yep. And said my wife would have would have wanted me to go out this way anyway. My wife would have loved this. <laughs> There we go. That man is living large. And I tell you what, going into the episode, if you'd asked me if I would say he won the episode, I'd have said, you're out of your freaking mind. (laughs) You're out of your mind. But when it was over, I'm kind of like, well, nobody else did. And it's kind of hard to to assign a winner to the episode when it's really only half an episode. And it's really just the beginning of the story. So if you have to assign it to somebody, assign it to the coolest dude. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that wasn't exactly my line of thinking, but we got to the same place, and that's what matters. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get on into part two here in just a second, but finally we got to do the rating. What is your rating on this episode? This is one – I know the, the, the plot or the, the story was flimsy, but I, I thought there was a lot of plot, a lot of action. I give this one a solid four. Wow, okay. I would probably have like a year ago, but watching it through the lens, I watched it through this time, I gave it a three. And I realized that's – I, I'm like, you know, I'm, I wanted to give it a higher score, but like you said, it's incomplete, and there's and there's not a lot of conflict. So, it this one, I don't want to say this episode disappointed me this time because it didn't disappoint me. It gave me what I expected. I was just kind of surprised at my reaction to what I got. So I think we right. can leave it at that. And I I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we and we discussed this before. You know, before we we did the show how we should approach this as one episode or as two separate episodes. I think approaching it as two separate episodes was the right way to go, but it diminishes this first episode. I mean, it's like, right. you know, discussing empire strikes back. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, it's only half of a movie. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's why this one, 
I, I, and I took that into account when giving it my rating. It, it was only the the first part of the story. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And and it was a challenge that we had to kind of deal with all the way through. So, all right. So one nineteen is a voice in the wilderness part two. And I guess the summary of this one is at the very end of of the previous episode, something came through the jump gate that that made Garibaldi react. But you could tell that it wasn't supposed to break there because they just freeze framed him going, "What the hell?" And then it yeah. kind of stopped, and they just picked right back up there. But uh, it is the Hyperion, an Earth Alliance uh, early model destroyer. In fact, JMS, here's a tidbit, JMS said we will never see that model again unless you play the little tabletop model game, in which case you could have those. But um, the Hyperion, and it's um, the captain is basically there to kind of take control of the situation for the Earth Force, the military, the Earth Gov, throw their weight around as they've done like every third episode this entire season. And as, as happens in every episode, Sinclair has to push back and say, no, no, I know what I'm doing. We don't need you coming in here like a bull in a china shop. And then uh, there's a little more with uh, Garibaldi trying to contact, find out what happened to, to Lise. And uh, we have a business where um, where Delenn and uh, Drawl, there was no Lanier in, the, in, any, in any of this, interestingly. We haven't seen right. Lanier in a while. Where Delenn and Drawl end up getting Londo of all people <laughs> to take them <laughs> down to the planet and end up solving some of the problems. So, um, do, what do you want to add to that in terms of plot before we dig into it? Uh, I, I kind of liked how you. Yeah, we knew they were setting up for the replacement. The yeah. the 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 Varn was um, was the guy that was holding the planet together and holding the 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 technology from just going, you know, crazy and destroying everything around it. Um, so we, we knew that they were going to replace them with somebody being towards the end of season one and the way they were setting things up. You didn't know. I mean, it, it could have been Delenn, It could have been draw or it could have been, they even hinted at it could have been, um, um, Oh, what's it? Londo. Yeah. You know, they each gave him a little bit of a, of a setup like, huh, maybe this is their exit. You know, it's the end of the season. Maybe this is th- that character's exit from you know from the bigger storyline. You, you didn't know exactly what who who was gonna you know take the place. I thought that right. was kind of neat. All right, let me let me let me address that because that's a that's a really good point that made you make you make me think. This is one of the things I enjoy about doing this show with you, Andy. Is you always make me think. You always <laughs> you always give me something to consider I hadn't considered. All right, good. We we know yeah we know that in the next episode Babylon Squared we get a possible trap door for Delenn. That she could have just stayed in the Gray Council and we'd have got a new ambassador for season two. Right. That's a, that's a you know. So she had one exit here and one exit there, and and another one, frankly, is coming up before the season is over. Right. So there's lots of places that Delenn could have hit the eject button from this show. You almost get the sense and, that she, that she had been telling JMS, I may not want to come back for another season. So. Right. Yeah, that was by design. JMS had trapdoors for every main character. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so. That's interesting, but I I still I still kind of laugh when I watch this episode and I realize what's happening, which is what you just described. That JMS is setting it up that it could have been any one of those three that stays behind, and I'm like, well, let's see. We have a main character on the show, we have another main character on the show, and we have a guy that just showed up that we don't really know. I wonder <laughs> right. which one of it. You know what I mean? I'm like, I wonder yeah. which one of them it's going to be. He, right. you know, Drawl was the red shirt. 
this episode. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, if Kirk and Spock and a random security guy beam down to the planet and only two are coming back, guess who's not coming back? But they could have been introducing Drawl as the next ambassador. Oh, for okay. All right. All right. Well, I was uh-huh. never going to buy Lando. I mean, Lando. Right. Was just, I was never right. going to buy Lando. But that's, that's fair. All right. All right. All right. What's your high point of this episode? The high point, you know what it's going to be. It was when the Hyperion came through that jump gate. That mm. I, I love Earth Force technology. I think their ships are so. I mean, they're 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 realistic and and militaristic, and they but they have their own panache. And I just when that thing came through that that jump gate, that's the first time that we really saw an Earth Force big Earth Force ship. I just I I got up and cheered. And and this time watching it, I almost did it again because it was just such an entrance. It was really cool. Yeah, and it's funny because um, I, I it's weird. He JMS said this is the only time you're going to see this ship. It's one of the old ones left over from like before the war, and and he said we have you know the newer, cooler designs coming. And of course, we know that this is again not a spoiler, just a promise. You're going to get some really cool Earth military ships in in the in the season to come. Yep. I I don't love the Hyperion. It doesn't even have a zero it doesn't, it doesn't even have a gravity section, right? The whole thing is is in zero gravity. It's like a submarine. Yep. It's like an old World War II submarine. That's what I loved about it. It's exactly yeah. what it was. It was yeah. a, a, an old war and I love the old World War II submarine movie, so I thought it was super cool. And I'm thinking why would they send that? But I guess well, JMS said they were building ships at Earth as fast as they could, so maybe nothing else was available. Right. But also, I feel like they wanted to keep the dramatic moment of the of the later ships for more dramatic moments coming in the future. Right. Uh, this wasn't this wasn't a big military exercise where they needed one of the bigger ships. Yeah. This was just a hey, go over there and and let's uh, you know just a little show of force. Yeah. And. Because it's just a you know it's just a little expedition to the planet. It's no big deal. We'll mm-hmm. just overwhelm them with this one ship, and that will be that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, my high point of the episode. I had to think about it a good bit, but I think it came. It, it actually came to me a minute ago when we were talking about this. My my high point was the conflict between the captain of that ship and Sinclair, because it really is the only conflict we get in the entire two hours. Right. And and so he's kind of a jerk, but you needed that. You right. needed somebody for Sinclair to go up against, like he went up against Ben Zane. So it, it while he was a jerk, he wasn't like Ben Zane, where he was just mm-hmm. a, a like a, a nasty person. He was just following his orders and doing what he thought he had to do to to handle the situation. Right. And in fact, he he becomes you know conciliatory there at the end. So that's true. He was a he he was a pretty good dude. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what was your low point? I didn't have a low point. Yeah. I, I tried. I, I looked for one, but again, this was this had all the the action from the first one plus all the story from the first one. So this was a, a, a this was on the gas all the way around. This was a, no letting up. So it, it was good. Well, my low point is just kind of a nitpick, I, I think, and that is when the aliens tell the humans you have ten hours to do so and so, and I guess trying to be dramatic and trying to throw his weight around. The captain responds, well, you have nine hours to withdraw. And I'm like, okay, so you you set it like an hour shorter to show him, but you also said you guys have nine hours to put the car in reverse and back away from here. Right. I'm like, Real, nine hours, really? Nine? It's like the cops come up and say, 
Come out with your hands up in the next nine hours or so. We'll wait. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, nine hours. Right. So that that I'm just that kind of hit me upside the head, and I'm just sitting there going, nine hours? <laughs> really? Okay. It, as much as I love the technology, that ship when I first saw it kind of let me down because it looked kind of just weird. But then during the conflict later, when it split into smaller parts, I was like, okay, that was cool. Yeah, yeah, it was. I agree. It, it was kind of odd at first. Uh, yeah. Do you have any uh, any of the Orenzento Ari Benzane Award? I really don't. No, I really don't. This was no. this was pretty solid. You're correct. Yeah, because the only person we even had to consider this time was Captain Pierce. There's his name, Pierce, and right. I thought he was fine. He was just okay. He was okay. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to uh, an Emmy or anything, but I thought he did fine. So I can't, yeah. I can't give him this award. This award is a special award, and it should mean something when we give it out. I think you know, it should be an honor that they are named <laughs> to be as as horrible overacting as those two gentlemen were. So yeah, I right. nobody this time. Um, let's see the most Babylon Five scene. Oh, uh, to me that was uh, when um, who was it? said his destiny lies elsewhere when mm. talking about Sinclair. That mm. one, was that the land that said that? Yeah, it had to have been, right? She's yeah. the one that keeps yeah. talking to him. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I have um Sinclair threatening to open fire on the Hyperion fighters. That's just like his the 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 cat the commander of Babylon Five threatening to blow up other Earth other Earth military ships is about as Babylon Five as you can get, right? Right. right. So, <laughs> Absolutely. So that, yeah. So. He had another Sinclair moment when he, you know, kind of outthought the other guy when he said, "Well, you can't go down there because you don't have the jamming device that we use." <laughs> yeah. And then Ivana was like, "We don't have a jamming device." He's like, "Yeah, you know that, and I know that, but he doesn't know that." <laughs> he doesn't know that. That was a kind of the Corbamite maneuver from Star Trek. Right. That's kind of, <laughs> right. that pretty neat. Yeah, very good. Um, all right, what was your favorite character moment? Favorite character moment was when uh, Garibaldi was talking to Lise. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we got a little bit of background about Garibaldi, but we saw he let all of his, his facade down, his you know happy-go-lucky goofball facade. He let all that down, and, and it was pretty raw. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he, I, You know, I, I give, uh, I give uh, Garibaldi credit. Um, he, he's not – I mean, he was not really even technically an actor before Babylon 5. He just auditioned and kind of bluffed his way in. But, you know, he, he's all right when he, when the, when the, I mean, when the, when the, he, he can rise and meet the moment. Yes. That's yeah. When, when given good material, he can, he can, he can act pretty good. I mean, later on in the season, we see even more, you know, real acting from him. So, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, let's see. So I had a note here that, I wonder what Veer and Lanier are off doing. Or Jakar, for that matter. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, Jakar's absence is very notable from these two yeah. episodes. Um, but but I felt like this was one of those where Veer and Lanier go off and get into trouble somewhere on their own, and they're not around to stop their bosses <laughs> from doing dumb things, which gets right. me to my favorite character moment, which is I like that Londo just kind of puts caution to the wind and goes out and takes risks and risks his life and everything, which is not a very Londo thing to do. But for some reason, without Veer there to go, Londo, are you sure you should do that? He just does whatever the heck he wants, man. Good for good for Londo. And we got a little bit of insight about Londo's past, too. We find out that he was a hero in battle when he mm. led an assault force. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. When, he, that's when right. you mentioned that, yeah. I ah. thought that was that was pretty cool. Now with Londo, you never know exactly when he's BSing and when he's telling <laughs> right. the truth. But 
especially when he gets into the the shuttle that he's supposed to own. He's like, uh, landing thrusters, landing thrusters. Where, if I were a landing thruster, where would I be? That didn't, doesn't come across as a competent warrior, right there. No, 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 it doesn't. But he got the job done, so we'll give him credit. Uh, yeah. yeah, but, I, but I, I, I agree. There were a lot of there were a lot of characters missing from these three episodes this ep- that we're talking about tonight, and uh, and Jakar certainly was notable because the show is different without him for some you know somehow. Yes. Uh, what was your funniest moment? And 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 I had a hard time. Yeah, there was really only one moment, and of course it was Ivanova <laughs> when uh, uh, Garibaldi asked her what was going on, and she said, "Boom." Boom, 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 yeah. boom. <laughs> she does like boom. Boom right. today, boom tomorrow. Boom shakalaka. Um, I had the funniest moment was when Garibaldi tries so hard to be in, you know, to, to be okay with Lise getting married and having a baby. And then after he hangs up, he's like, Franz? What kind of name is Franz? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny, just under uh, his breath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I was just like, come on, Garibaldi. Come on. You got to say something, man. You can't just let that pass. And then he says it. I'm right. Like, All right. All right. There we go. Uh, let's see. A couple of, couple of things. We had Louis Torino back as drawl. We had Denise Gentile or Gentile or Gentile. I'm not sure. I, uh, you and I both, maybe, um, do you know uh, Joe Gentile in Chicago, the pulp guy? Moonstone, I do. I, I have met him. I don't know him well. Well, he his name is spelled the same way as Denise's that actress's name, but he pronounces it like Gentilly. So right. I'm not sure how she pronounces it. So I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. So I'm just going to say Lise. There you go. Lise is in it, and again, I was shocked that she's in it this much this soon. And then the other notable guest star was Ron Canada as Captain Ellis Pierce, and I'm like. That's got to be a fake name, Ron Canada. <laughs> Ron Canada is like you're registering on Pornhub or something. I, Ron Canada, where did that come from? So, good, I, if that's his real name, God bless him. But man, that sounds like he a hangs out with, with Ron Mexico. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh man, no doubt. That's what I'm thinking of. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole and explain <laughs> explain old NFL player right. shenanigans to our audience that doesn't care. Um, a few random factoids, just a couple. Um, the Hyperion is an EA heavy cruiser named after the internet board where the Lurkers guy used to live. It's been all over the place. It was at Hyperion, and then it was at dscga.com, I believe, and now it is at midwinter.com slash lurk. So uh, I, I appreciate the lurker's guide. It's there to give us information that I don't always have. And um, but, 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 let's see, JMS said, insofar as I recall, it wasn't stated that Varn's people actually built the great machine. After all, if they could build it, why would the others have been searching for it so frantically for the last several hundred years? Right. And he says the Hyperion is one of the few uh, surviving heavy cruisers from the Earth Mimbari War. We lost a lot of ships in that war. There were a few new. There were some new ones commissioned, which we haven't seen yet, which are far cooler than the Hyperion. Though we'll see them next season. All right, there we go. Uh, that's all I got. You have any factoids? Nope, we covered them all. Yeah, that's it. Who won the episode? I would say either Drawl or Sinclair. Drawl because uh, he he met his destiny and he got to become you know this this great uh this this great character this important person 
Um, and he was expecting to just kind of go off and die. So I thought that that was a great ending to his character arc. And I think uh, Commander Sinclair held his own once again against uh, pushback from from Earth Force. So I think uh, if, if it weren't for Draw, Sinclair would walk away with this one. Yeah, I too have Drawl and somebody else. I have Drawl because he now has all that power and information. Uh, but then again, he has to stand there for, for whoever long, so that kind of sucks. He's yeah. like they give him a chair or something, like on Stargate. <laughs> Get him one of those Stargate Atlantis seats where he can just kick back and control things. Um and the other one I had was everybody on board Babylon 5 because it didn't get destroyed after all. So That's that's a plus. There we go. But I agree with you that Sinclair definitely did another one of those coming out ahead against uh, his own people. I rated this one a 3.5, better than the first one. The, I, and I said here, I said, these are not bad episodes. They're just not quite as good as I remember. And I think that we've hit upon the reason already, which is there just wasn't a lot of conflict. And so it was just kind of like this and this and this and this in the end. So that's my main objection. Yep. I'm with you. I, I, I rated this one and I gave the same rating as I did the first episode because, again, I looked at it as, mm-hmm. as one big episode. Sure. Uh, so I, this one also got a four. There you go. Okay. We got to quickly thank our patrons. And then we're going to get into the big one, Babylon Squared. I've been looking forward to this one all season long this is Babylon Squared is one that I actually um, didn't see in the original run for some somehow I missed wow it. and I came in with like the next one which we're going to talk about next time and people were buzzing on the internet about oh you know Babylon Squared Babylon 4 and I'm like what Babylon 4 oh my gosh <laughs> and and <laughs> there there wasn't any way to watch it I you know I didn't I, I didn't apparently didn't set the VCR or whatever at that point. And yep. so I went like, I feel like I went like a year without wow. seeing Babylon Squared. And I was losing my mind. I'm like, I've got to know what happened in that episode. Yeah. Well, th- this was in the ancient times when there was no streaming. Yes. Yes. So, well, we'll get into that one in just a second. But first, got to thank our folks that keep our shows on the air. Um, I'm thinking about setting up a new Patreon just for this show, which would make the list a lot shorter. <laughs> It would take a lot less time, <laughs> at least for the for the time being, until we start getting some um, some new patrons. But I have a new uh, incentive that I want to put out there for folks. Um, the The White Rocket Network, which includes this show and others, we have one Patreon, and to get to it, to join our family and be part of it, and have your name called out every episode as a thanks, go to www.b5reviews. Is it B5 Review or B5 Reviews, Van? Come on. Uh, oh, no. Let me type it in and see what happens. <laughs> B5 Review. There's no S. www.b5review. B and the number 5 and review.com. If you go there, there's a link that says Become a Patron right underneath all the episode links so far. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can be part of our family and help support these shows and be thanked every time and get bonus content like an early access. You will have early access to our season review episodes coming up soon. So if you want to hear Andy and me and guests give some new perspective on the entire season one once we're done and then season two and so on, you're going to want to be a patron so you can hear it pretty soon after we first put it up. Um... So again, www.b5b and the number five review.com will let you go. Just click on become a patron and for as little a dollar a month. Uh, these are the folks who currently support our network 
And like I said, I'm thinking about moving over. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I knew there was something I was forgetting. Yeah, here's our extra incentive. I have declared now we have four podcast channels that we're having to pay for. This is what the Patreon does. It, it pays for all of our getting this stuff out to you guys. If we get to 150 patrons, or whenever we do, it's an open-ended thing. When we get, when we get to 150 patrons, I will start a fifth podcast channel on our network where Andy, John Ringer, um, Jared Albrick, and others, we will do a, we'll rotate around, obviously, and we will do a weekly movie review using our same formula, all this, about different cool, awesome movies of the last 30, 40 years. So if you want to hear Andy and me and John and others talk about great movies and kind of break them down using our same sort of formula that's worked so well on Babylon 5 Reviews, then just sign up, help us get to 150 patrons. It'll be an awesome, awesome thing. Here are the folks currently keeping these things, helping these things happen. They include Chris and Clinton Stewart, and Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Samuel Salvatore, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Logan Chilton, Michael Kirstner, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, Ann Kangian, AU Falling Up, Ben Bloodworth, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy, WDE Richie. Oh, we got to get better at celebrating. Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Cato the Barner, Chris the Hilton, Colby Butler, Danny Flack, and let's see, just a few more. The internet's being slow tonight. Darius Benton, David Simpson, Dibama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Canoy, Kevin Mahan, Christian Thorvaldson, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, and Snowdog, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, 76 Tiger, staying alive, staying alive, Alex Nguyen, uh, Auburn Elvis. Oh, by the way, you can put whatever name you want on here to make me say goofy things, and Andy has already declared that that's like the best incentive possible to get people <laughs> to sign up. I think he's right, so jump on this thing pretty quick. Ben Amos, Ben Regas, Brandon Smith, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, James Taylor, Jason Albrick, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright, going to see you at DragonCon, Kathy, uh, with several others, Kenneth Brent Rains, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, and finally, the last couple of people, Mick Vichicana, Paul Bankson, public land owner, Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Brent Rubble, Chris, plus our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank you all. www.b5review.com. Hit the button to become a patron. And Andy, we are currently at 111 so we only need 39 more to, nice. get that, to get that movie review. I'm speaking for you that you're going to do this. I figure you'd like to, right? It'll be fun. I am I am all over that. I'm glad you said that because I thought maybe we had a conversation that I completely forgot about. But no, please sign up because I <laughs> would love to do this movie review. Yeah. I think we just work our way through the greatest, awesome, cool movies of the last several decades. And we'll kind of use our formula on them and modify it, obviously, a little bit. you know. But uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. So. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Sitting around talking movies with you? I mean, what? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Heck yeah. I, that's going to be a blast. So just we just need 39, without losing anybody we've already got, Lord, Lord right. willing, we need 39 more patrons. But we got 111, so surely we can get 39 more. Surely, right? All right. Surely. 120 Babylon Squared. Babylon Squared. Um, I'll do part of this. 
I'm going to do the, the Delin part. I'll let you do the fun part. So Delin goes to meet with the Grey Council on their ship where they apparently just stay all the time driving around the galaxy in their big Charlin cruiser because she has to report some stuff to them, but they want her to be the new leader of the council. And she shocks everybody by saying, I've got other things to do. I have other priorities. And so conflict ensues. What's the other big thing that happens in this episode? <laughs> the other big thing is a star theory goes uh, in search of a, an anomaly in the same sector as Babylon 5. It's in the same star system. Mm -hmm. uh, about three hours away, I guess, however fast those things move. It, it's, yeah. it's a fair distance away. And discovers uh, some sort of anomaly. And the Star Fury returns to base, returns to Babylon 5, but the pilot is dead. And he has died from old age. Woo. So they go, uh, they go in search of and discover that it's actually Babylon. Oh, they get a, the radio call. Mm -hmm. A distress call from Babylon 4, which had disappeared mysteriously years before, yeah. before it ever went active. So the, the uh, shades of, of yesterday's Enterprise, they are now dealing with somebody from the past on, a, on a, a, another Babylon station. So they have to go and try to evacuate the station before it disappears in the time stream again. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Such a great premise. I was so excited when I heard about this, because to me, Babylon 4 showing up on Babylon 5 is is up there with the Pegasus showing up on Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, or the, yeah, like I said, yesterday's Enterprise, the old, yeah. the old Enterprise showing up there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It was mind-boggling, because back in the day, there was, the, the internet was, wasn't really even a thing yet. So I went into this completely cold. I mean, I saw the the description in the you know TV guide, but mm -hmm. I went into this episode completely cold, and it blew me away. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, another great premise. But again, a voice in the wilderness had a great premise, and we weren't thrilled with how it played out. So this is going to be interesting. Um, okay, so what's your high point of Babylon Squared? And then we'll talk about it some point. more as we go along. Yeah. Yep, the high point was the appearance of Babylon Four. I, I, like I, I just got done saying that, just blew my mind. And it was, it's a cool design. It doesn't look yeah. like Babylon Five. It's actually bigger than Babylon Five. Oh yeah. There's a reason they came back in time to steal Babylon Four and not to steal Babylon Five. <laughs> no joke. Um, because Babylon Four was bigger and better and cooler. And it just it showed. Uh, yesterday's Enterprise is one of my. I know I keep bringing it up, but it's one of my favorite Star Trek episodes. And this this one had echoes of of that. So it. It had me on the edge of my seat when Babylon 4 showed up. And it, it was very dramatic how the captain of Babylon 4 sent a distress call. And they're like, this distress call from the past? Yeah. Uh, it was just very dramatic, very cool. And, and the design of the, the station was, was spectacular. And that, that did remind me a lot of the, um, the Pegasus on the original Battlestar Galactica. Because remember, just the same way, they didn't at first believe that's what it could be. It's right. bigger. It was bigger and more powerful, certainly on the new Galactica, the, the Pegasus was bigger and more powerful. In the old show, they were the same, basically the same model. Um, right. But but they didn't believe each other. They didn't trust each other at first. It didn't seem possible. It seemed like a ghost ship. You know, it's kind of a similar feel in that way. Um, yeah, I I was with that up until I I I jumped over that one because we get Delin's first great speech, not her last, right? Maybe right. once, maybe once per season, we're going to get a great Delin speech, 
And Mira Furlan was so good at that. And this is her speech to the Gray Council here near the end is like, you're like, oh, I can see this is going to be fun when she starts lecturing, you know, these high and mighty people. And her delivery is just spotless. I mean, she brings a gravitas to those speeches. And her speeches, she has some doozies. And uh, like you said, this is the first one where she where she lays it all out, and you realize that this woman is not to be trifled with, and she is a she's she's a big player in the whole story arc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did not have a low point on this episode. <sighs> My only low point was the captain of Babylon Four, and I'll give him <laughs> a little bit of a break because he was under extreme duress with the time jump and all that. But there towards the very end of the episode, he turned into a screeching little yeah. girl and it was, it was a little bit, it, it, it devalued the character a little bit. I thought he, he was holding up pretty well under the, the considerable pressure of being dragged back, back and forth through the time stream. But then at the very end, he, he kind of lost his cool and, and the acting wasn't terribly great. I major Krantz. Yes. I, yeah. I gotta say, um, by the way, you mentioned Babylon 4 being bigger and everything, and I kind of skipped past that. My understanding is Babylon 4 actually could move under its own power. Really? I mean, it's almost like a big dreadnought, you know. I, I didn't know so. that. Now, I know I know Babylon 5 has some maneuvering thrusters to, yeah, to get it but, in orbit, but I didn't know that, it was, that Babylon 4 was an actual starship. That's kind of cool. I think it can actually. I don't think you'd want to, like, take it out cruising around like, you know, Right, like the Hyperion, shall we say? I'm trying to think of a ship I can mention without a spoiler, but right. well, we do see other ships that are equally massive to Babylon Five that are that that fly around. Yeah, Earth, yeah I mean Earth Four ships too. The Explorer, like are the, pretty huge. The Explorer, yeah. yeah, it was pretty huge. So pretty I can see that. I can that. That's kind of cool. I didn't. That's a whole yeah. whole new aspect to it. Not a hundred percent sure, but I feel like it can move under its own power at least more than Babylon Five could. Babylon Five is pretty much just nailed down. It ain't going right. anywhere. Um, your low point kind of takes me to the Oren Zento, Ari Benzane overacting award. And, and, and I said I don't want to award it lightly, but I think you're right that he earns it by the end, Major Krantz. And, yep. and I'm, I'm going to say Major Krantz gets the Oren Zento award in an episode with Zathras in it. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. you got to do some scenery chewing to out Zathras, Zathras, you know. Right. Wow. So what do you got? Uh, yeah, I absolutely. I, I you can't give it to Zathras because Zathras no. is such an awesome character. But yeah, the, like I said, there towards the end, he he kind of oversells the the uh, the uh, panic. I think a little right. bit, and it, it it takes away from the character. He could have been a really cool character. Yeah, um, it diminishes. But it. Uh, he he lost his cool there at the end, and the guy kind of oversells it. So. Let's let's talk about. I don't like. I don't think I have him on here again. We got to talk about Zathras for a second because he he's important in this episode, and yet. You don't have any clue who he's supposed to be. I mean, we know he's a little dude that kind of looks like he's half raccoon and half human, and yeah. uh, and he kind of just you know, oh, yeah. not the one, not the one. They told <laughs> Zathras, listen, no, not the one. Uh, that was the great Tim Choate, by the way. I'm gonna uh, uh, the late Tim Choate. Yet another, yeah. yet another who has passed away. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, actors. I saw somebody posted the the Babylon Five uh, reunion. the The actors got together at a restaurant in L.A. and had a little reunion. There was five of them there. Yeah, it was so depressing. I mean, they had 
um, uh, Sheridan and Ivanova and uh, Molari. Mm-hmm. And who else did they have there? Uh, 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 Lanier. Yeah. And I want to say that's it. And, oh, yeah. and uh, um, the, the other the other psychop or the other uh, telepath, the red-haired girl. Oh, Lita. Yeah. Lita. Yeah. And that was it. That was all that they had left. And I, I wanted to cry a little bit. I mean, think about it. The, I mean, just off the main cast, kind of working your way down. Garibaldi is gone. I mean, and this is in real life, folks. We're talking about the actors now. Garibaldi. Right, right. Garibaldi's passed away. Delin. Um, yeah. Franklin. Yeah. Uh, Jacar. I yeah. mean, those are four big ones. Sinclair. Sinclair. Yep. Zathras. Yep. Uh, Veer. Veer. Or, yeah, uh, Veer, yeah. yeah. I mean, that. good Lord. And we haven't even gotten to all the, 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 the characters that are introduced in later seasons that have passed Right. Away. Plus some of the minor ones, like the Muay Thai boxer's dead. Yep. Wow. That's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. We'll touch on more on that as we go along, obviously, through the, show, through the series. Um, but what about Zathras? You've got to be a Zathras fan, right? I mean, people that are seeing this yes. for the first time don't know what to make of him. We like Zathras, right? Yes. Zathras is cool. Uh, he's, he's a unique character. Um, <laughs> That's for sure. Because he he's not what he's he's mysterious, but not like the Minbariar, who are you know these right. these know it alls like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. They're like these big, deep, you know, uh, intelligent know it alls. Zathras is is kind of he's kind of a, a that he. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be mean, but he's a little bit on the slow side. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it kind he's, of is. He's, he's he's not smart. He's kind of like. Uh, um, you know Lenny from uh, from the uh, Hey George. I think I will call him George. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he's, technically he's very smart. He can right. fix Te- Yeah, technically, mechanically he's smart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But as far as intelligence goes, he he's not he, he's not very smart. He's very childlike, which yes. I guess is is kind of part of his appeal t- too. Um, yeah. He's he's very innocent in his his uh, his lack of of smarts. So. Yep. There, I, I don't know. It's impossible. To, and his, the 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 actor is great in his delivery of the lines because oh, yeah. the lines could be ridiculous or silly or or campy, but the way he delivers them is is it's actually endearing and funny. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that uh, it's fair to just say we we may see Zathras again, and so yeah, uh, yeah. He and he and it's worth your it's worth waiting for. It might be a little while, but it's worth waiting for. So. Uh, what was your most Babylon Five scene in this one? I'm really curious about this. This is this had some. Well, it, it, it the most Babylon Five scene was Delenn's explanation of humans and what I believe this is what you touched on, uh, yeah. on earlier. It's her explanation of humans and what makes them great. I thought that was really super cool, and it, it showed why the humans did what they did to put Babylon Five together, even though they're extremely flawed. They have such potential, which is why they. Are, are so important to the, the future of the galaxy. It seems like a whole lot of science fiction universes kind of go out of their way to say that humans are really important and have a great destiny. I mean, like in Marvel Comics, there's always been that thing about, you know, Earth isn't as advanced as the Shi'ar or the Kree or the Skrulls or whatever, but yet we have a bigger destiny someday than they right. do, you know. And it's the same kind of, you know, in Star Trek universe, it's the same thing here, I think. Do you know why that is? Because it's aired on Earth and not on those planets. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. We don't see a whole lot of Babylon Five being beamed to Minbar, so yeah, right. that's, that's why, playing playing that's to why, your but, audience. Yeah, playing to your audience. It makes sense. Yeah, it, oh, it makes sense. I mean, sure. And because kind of because Earth is so screwed up politically, you know, 
we have to have some sort of hope for the chaos. We have to say, you know what, we're chaotic and we fight and all this stuff. But wouldn't it be great if that was also our strength and that's what brings us together in the future? That's I think yeah. it's aspirational as well as, as yes. uh, aimed towards the audience. Yeah, right. And it, and if you kind of bring it back down a, a step on the on the pyramid, it's like you know patriotic TV shows in America are going to say that America is the greatest country in the world and all that. They're not going around. In, in other words, a, a TV show that said, "Hey, isn't it great that Russia or China is going to rule the world one day?" That would be a dystopian show. That would not be, like you said, an aspirational premise. So right. if you're doing an aspirational thing, you say our people are going to be the, the great ones. You know, you, you don't right. say that it's somebody else because we don't want to hear that. So, yeah, right. I, I agree. It, I think that's right. It, it may seem like we have no hope as a race today, but what makes us so combative and so divisive is what unites us and makes us strong in the future. I think that's kind of a cool message. Yeah, what you said there was so profound, and yet all I could hear was, no hope today, hope tomorrow. There's always hope tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Very good. Oh, boy. Um, my most Babylon 5 scene, I, I, I'm like, I'm kind of like scratching. Th- I'm not typing it, but I'm I'm metaphorically scratching things out as the episode progresses. I'm like, no, nope, no, nope, this is it. No, <laughs> no, nope, nope, this is it. So I I had the B four, the Babylon four traveling through time thing, mm-hmm. but but I ended up thinking, you know, honestly, pop time travel is time travel. But having the Gray Council on that Charlin cruiser, you know, that they just live there and they and they stand there in their gray robes with spotlights on them and all. That's a pretty darn Babylon 5 thing right there. So I'll, I'll guess I'll go with the whole Minbari B-plot with Delin and yeah. the Grey Council and that. Yeah. Th- this was another episode where there was a lot of Babylon 5 moments. So yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you could go with any of a half a dozen different things. Absolutely right. Uh, what was your favorite character moment in Babylon Squared? Um, I think it has to, again, go to Delin when she is talking about uh, not coming back. Um, we see it, it gives a lot of insight into um, her character and wh- what she sees as important to hmm. not just the future of the galaxy or for her race, but it, it, for her. I mean, she I, there's hints that she has affection for certain aspects of Babylon 5 and certain people in Babylon 5, which I think is, is kind of a neat insight to her character. It kind is. of humanizes her a little bit. Yeah, and that's a that's that's an important part of all of season one is insights to these characters, you know? Yep. It's a big thing we're here for this season. That's why when people say, I'm just going to skip and start with season two, I'm like, but, but season one, even if you don't love the A-plots, and I think that one of the things that you and I have discovered in our quest through these episodes this, this last couple of months is that we do like the A-plots quite a bit. Um, yeah. But, but the... The underlying character development stuff is so important. I just don't see how you right. can skip it. I just don't. absolutely, yeah, yeah. You, you miss so much of of the groundwork that is laid as far as these characters, uh, Londo Malari's arc and, and Garibaldi's arc, and even Jakar's arc wouldn't be as powerful as they are without seeing where you know where their feet are planted when they first um, appear on the scene. So yeah, it's, these character moments are, are vitally important. Everybody thinks it's like the, the action that happens in these more recent episodes that sets up the, the series, the later storyline, but it's really the, the characters that set up the series. And, and you know, it's funny. It wasn't that long ago that you and I were talking about shouty, screamy Jakar and buffoon Londo. And I think that 
viewers that have watched just to this point now have already seen us move away from that. Yep. It doesn't take and, five years. I mean, we're already moving away from that stereotype. Right, right. And it was just during this rewatch that you and I both came to the realization that Ivanova, her character, mm-hmm. is so vital to the, the, the future of the, the show. Absolutely. I don't think, again, she's so, I, I don't know the word for it. She's so in, integrated into just the, she lays down the foundation. She's kind of like the bass and the drummer in the band where you're listening to the melody and you don't always notice what's going right. on down the low end. But when we, but when you and I sit here and, and break it down the way we've been doing it, you're like, man, that drum track, you know what I mean? Yeah. Man, when you really pay attention to that bass line, wow, you know? Yeah. Her, she is the, the moral fabric that is woven into the, the larger tapestry. It, it's just not the same show without her at, at all. Right. It's not as funny right. and it's not as powerful. Right. Yeah, that's right. It, that's been, I think that, I think that my, and we're, we're going to talk about this in much greater detail, obviously in our season wrap up, and that's going to be a lot of fun, but I'm going to yep. give you a little quick preview. I think that two of the biggest revelations I've had doing this show with you so far, one of them is that we've enjoyed a lot of the, you know, season one one-offs more than we thought we would. But I think yeah. the other one is Ivanova. She has really been the revelation of just how un- how under... I don't think she was underappreciated by a lot of people. People loved her. But I certainly am willing to raise my hand and say I underappreciated her all these years. Right. Well, and I always loved her as a character, but I never realized how important she was to the. Like, yes. like I said, that she's the moral fabric. She's the the she's the Captain America of the Avengers. You know, she's the <laughs> one that it. holds that together. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Um, I had as my favorite character moment just because I thought it was kind of it's both it it's both telling and funny. When Major Kranz is identifying himself, I'm Major Kranz of Babylon 4, who are you? And I love Sinclair and Ivanova standing there, and Sinclair says, this is Commander Jeffrey Sinclair of Bah. Right. And, and he catches himself, <laughs> and he gives this look to Ivanova like, whoa, I almost messed up. And then he goes, this is Earth Force Commander Jeffrey Sinclair. Right. Like of some <laughs> random ship that I won't name right now. Right. Well, even yeah. the captain says, "Oh, are you on a ship?" He's like, "No, yeah, we're on a we'll station." Play. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, I, I, but when, when he gets he gets the he gets the bah out and then just looks <laughs> hey. at her, the look he gives Ivanova just had me on the floor because I don't yep. know that it was overacting so much as just I imagine that like the script said he gives Ivanova a significant glance and yeah. Michael O'Hare just made a meal out of that significant glance. Again, his his theatrical training coming through. I mean, yeah. He's uh he's definitely he's not hamming it up, but he's definitely yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was it was almost Looney Tunes. Oh, okay, you know. Right. <laughs> the eyes pop right. out. But that was great. It, My, uh, I think that's yeah. that should be another thread in our season wrap up that I I have gained a new appreciation for his acting. It is true. It is true. I Yes, I did not like him the first time I watched the show. And every time I've watched season one since then, which is probably four or five times, I've liked him more. At the time, I thought he was the anchor dragging the show down, honestly. I'm like, how can you have this cool, serious drama when you've got this game show host as your main character? And I honestly have appreciated him more every time. So, yeah, we'll talk about that. My other f- funny character moment 
again, you get some Garibaldi Sinclair interaction where Garibaldi's doing the whole zip versus fasten thing, which I'm like, was, <laughs> yeah. was it three o'clock in the morning and JMS was typing away in his little apartment or in the in the in the hot tub <laughs> warehouse, and this seemed like a good topic? I mean, he's like, well, they need to be talking about something. I'll have him talk about how you put your pants on. But right. the best part was when he does that, Sinclair goes, do you think about this stuff a lot? <laughs> <laughs> and Garibaldi looked kind of hurt, like, well, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God, do you think about this stuff a lot? That I love that. <laughs> I love that Sinclair is right there with us saying to Garibaldi what we're saying, which is, what? What? Right. <laughs> Why are you wasting precious Babylon 5 airtime talking about how you put your pants on, Michael? I just, you know, we could be having right. more Zathras or something, and instead you're talking about your pants. So, But yeah, you know that, what? That, in, that, in good science fiction fashion, it made me think whether I did a zip <laughs> fa- fasten or fasten zip. So it made you think. I think that most of us are fasten zip. Is that not fair? <laughs> I think that's fair to say. I, I, it's harder to do the other way around. Yeah. But. Yes, it is. Of course it is. And here we are talking about it 30 years later. (laughs) There it is. I guess it made more sense than, uh, I guess it's something we can identify (laughs) with. So there you go. Uh, Let's see. What was your funniest moment, if there's anything left? (laughs) My funniest moment was, if Zathras stays, he dies. If Zathras goes, he dies. Either way, way. bad day for Zathras. (laughs) Zathras, I love Zathras so much. Um, Yeah. uh, Oh, oh. No, not the one. I just love that. <laughs> but uh, I, I thought the funniest moment was at the very beginning before all the festivities begin when we get sleepy Ivanova because we already know she's not a morning person. She hates getting up. She hates getting up. And they do that whole elaborate thing with her breakfast which oh, is like, I forgot about that. That was hilarious. Yeah, did they have plates? Did they plan that in advance and have plates hidden away? Yeah, because yeah, he reached over next to him and did it. Oh, that was so yeah. funny. He had stuff waiting. And then I love how yeah. when she gets up and leaves, Sinclair says to Garibaldi, I'll notify your next of kin. Right. And he counts down, and sure enough. Garibaldi! <laughs> Uh, that was good. That was good. It was another, again, another, kind of weird. I, I wonder what JMS was smoking when he wrote this episode. I guess writing a time travel episode gets your brain in such a funny place. Right. I, I mean, I, I've I've written at least two, maybe, I'd have to really think. I've written two, at least three novels that involve time travel. And it does get weird. In fact, i got to tell you the story really quick. Just take a second. When I wrote the second Sentinels novel, it has a lot of time travel in it. And yep, what I ended up what I ended up doing, I just couldn't write it in the order you had to read it. I had to write it by characters. The chapters like the all the chapters involving these characters and then all the chapters involving these. And when I got done, I printed the whole thing out, put it down on the floor in my house from one end of the house to the other in chapter piles, and then went through and rearranged it into the order that it needed to be read in and 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 wrote new numbers for each chapter, scratched out the old chapter numbers and renumbered them because that's how hard it is to do time travel. So That's uh, impressive. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So I can imagine JMS's brain was in a pretty weird place writing something like this. So um, Let's see. The notable guest stars this episode, Kent Broadhurst as Major Krantz, who we've already kind of dismissed. Tim Choate, the great late, the late great Tim Choate as Zathras. And again, Denise Gentile, Gentile, as lease, um, do you have any factoids you want to throw out? We covered them all. We tend to cover them all in our conversation, but just in just in case. 
The only thing I want to throw out there is how jam-packed is this episode with oh. Babylon 5 moments that yeah. the the end scene where the, the mysterious stranger from the future takes off his helmet and it's not only an aged oh. Jeffrey Sinclair, yes. but there's also Delenn with him directing him oh. to come back in time and steal. So that was a huge moment. And oh that doesn't even make the top two Babylon 5 moments wow. for the episode. You're right. I didn't even think about that. I think I was so kind of like blown away by that scene again that I didn't even stop to think if I'd put it on my list. I just kind of was like, whoa, and I just kept going. You know, It's one of those things where you stop analyzing and you're just watching. Right. I was just watching it and enjoying it. I wasn't really like going, oh, where am I going to put? No. So that's... Because yeah, watching to... this, watching this episode the first time, you uh, mm-hmm. while you're watching, you don't know who the, the the character in blue is. You just assume mm-hmm. it's some another alien from the future, and that this mm-hmm. is the last time we're going to see Babylon Four, etc. And mm-hmm. suddenly they throw that little card down there at the end. It's like, oh, this is going to have a much bigger role mm-hmm. going forward. So, oh yeah, you yeah, gotta, that was a huge moment. You got to think that everybody watching has got to think if 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 a if an older Sinclair and what was clearly Delenn, I mean we didn't see her. Yeah. Wonder wonder why they didn't show her face for obvious re- for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> right, we don't know that yet, Andy. We don't know why they didn't show her face. Hmm. hmm. But anyway. Right. Um. But yeah, that uh, that was really cool. I that was a Babylon Five moment, wasn't it? You're right. There are more than I even considered. Um. Some 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 random factoids. I feel like I had nothing I was going to say there, but I may get to it anyway. Um, Jeff spent three. This is where we found out he spent three years being taught by Jesuits. That's such a Sinclair thing because it's such a random yet very specific thing. You know, it's like right. Sinclair just throws out these nuggets every once in a while, and you're like, what? It's like if Sinclair. Yeah. It's like if Sinclair had said. Oh, that was during the six months that I was picking coffee beans in Brazil with a Mexican army or something. You're like, okay, Jeff, sure, why not? You know, sure, sounds fine to me. That was during the year that I spent dressing as a woman in Tokyo. Oh, okay, Jeff, whatever you, you know, it's just he throws these things out and you're just like, what? What were you doing? What? Where? Where? You know, was this on Mars? I don't know, but anyway. Um, I was curious why they built Babylon 4 two and a half hours away from Babylon 5. You'd think they built them in kind of the same place, but maybe they decided that was a bad place to build a station since it disappeared. Right. Or, because it was more mobile, there are different Ooh. points in the solar system where gravity yeah. acts differently. There's a Lagrange point, which is yes. a point between the sun and the planet, which is probably where Babylon 4 was. Oh, look at you. Look at See, you. With tachyons. Yeah. That's the word I want to throw out. We get a lot of tachyon talk. That sounds to me like we do. like a particle thing that Star Trek would love, right? Right. Yeah, that was that was a lot of techno babble. That was, yeah. Um ah. We live for the one. We would die for the one. So and not the one. So we, we know that there's a character called the one, and it's not Neo from Matrix, it's some other the one. <laughs> right. And it it was the blue space suited person who turned out to be Sinclair, maybe, or I don't know. It's kind of confusing. Right. Well, there's a reason why Zathras, maybe, why Zathras looked at Sinclair and thought for a moment yeah. that he could be the one. It could. Not the one. Zathras does as he is told. Um, why did the one in the spacesuit want to touch Sinclair? We know Sinclair was just kind of curious to touch this apparition, but why did the one in the spacesuit want to touch Sinclair? I'm not sure. I, he touched on that at the very end. He said, I tried to warn them, 
Yeah. But they did it all that way anyway. Yeah. That's how time travel works. You can't ever quite yeah. change things the way you want. Yeah. Uh, the suits, by the way, were from 2001 A Space Odyssey. They were just the blue ones rather than the uh, the orangey ones or red ones or whatever that we see. Right. Because you'll see it hanging up in the uh, – when when um, – when is it Dave? It's Dave Bowman, I guess, or is it Poole? I always get those two confused. Bowman and Poole, whatever. Oh, it's it's Bowman. When he goes into the uh, the little capsule section of Discovery, the, there's different colored spacesuits hanging on the wall, and that's the blue one. Uh, right. Let's see. I have a note here. Was that Delenn's hand at the end? I mean, it certainly sounded like her. It did, but we didn't see her for some reason. No, we didn't see her. I wonder what that's all about. I have a feeling we might find out sooner rather than later. Uh, if people just yep. stay tuned. Uh, and then lastly, my last one is that Delenn gets the triluminary, which there's been Again. some idle talk about. <laughs> yeah. And there are still two others, we're told. So there, Minbari do everything in threes, except have three casts this season. But don't worry, right. there's, a third cast, there's a third cast coming. So I, I still don't know what the deal is with a triluminary. I've watched the show so many times. I've read all the books. I've studied the show. I still really don't know what the triluminary is. It's a MacGuffin. It is. It is. Yes, it is a MacGuffin. That is true. Uh, let's see. Who won this episode? I would say that uh, Sinclair won this episode. Well, you know what? I'm going to go with Delenn. I'm going to switch that because Delenn did a power move there and uh, and threw her weight around and, and showed yeah. that she was a, a, a real player. So I, I'm going to give it to, to Delenn. I think that's fair. And I'm going to say Zathras also won the episode because he didn't give anything away. He didn't mess anything yeah. up. He apparently in, he, he was clever enough to get crushed, though not crushed to death, so that he could be rescued by the person he wanted to be rescued with by and not by somebody else. Because he'd have been carried off to, to, to Earth Dome or something if he had, you know, hadn't gotten right. trapped. So I'll, I'll, I'll say that, too. What is your rating for this episode? This one is a 5.0. This is one of my favorite episodes. Oh, man. Wow. All right. I, All right. All right. <laughs> I used to would have given this one a four, but I gave it a wow. Th- I gave it a three point five this time, just because it. You know, I, I said I had issues with the first two. Here's the issue I had with this one. This one requires a lot of imagination on the part of the viewer, in that it seems a lot bigger than it really is. It's one of those episodes that. When you really and, and, and but honestly, you know what? I think that's a very Babylon Five thing. A lot of what JMS does with the entire show is use very limited means, whether it be you know not having very much money or small sets or you know not the greatest actors or whatever. He, he uses what is at hand to create the illusion of something much larger. Yeah, and CGI when he has to, you know that kind of thing. He uses what is at hand to create an illusion of something bigger. And if you really think about this episode, most of this episode was people running around inside a warehouse and people standing inside a dark room with spotlights on them. Right. That was it, pretty much. Yep. And yet it seems gigantic, doesn't it? It, it absolutely does, yeah. So I'm not taking away... For that, it's just that I kind of, because I think I was in more analytical mode this time than normal, that stood out to me. I, I kind of saw the man behind the curtain a little more this time 
I saw the sets as opposed to a glimpse of a larger world that I'm supposed to see. And that's that's just kind of the unavoidable downside of, of what we're doing, which is being analytical. So I don't want to punish the show for that. But I it just made me go about a, a, a half a point down to really realize we don't get as much from this episode as what we think we do. But we still get a lot. We still get a lot. So Yeah. And I think I, I'm kind of the opposite there. I think they do a lot with stagecraft mm-hmm. uh, to give the illusion of something bigger. Like the the Minbari ship, the interior of the Minbari ships, you really don't ever see the no. interior of the Minbari ship. They're mysterious and they're big on the outside. And the, just, with, just with the darkened room and the spotlights, it makes it seem so massive and mis- mysterious inside. When, like you said, it's probably just you know a small set with some spotlights. But they give you the illusion that it's huge. And it's with true. Babylon 4, they, it's the exact same set as Babylon 5, but with a subtle change of lighting, it makes it look like an entirely different station. And, and green. they reverse the camera on everything, yeah. And a lot of green. I thought that was interesting. Right. That every, each station has kind of its own color. Babylon 4 right. was green and gray, and Babylon 5 is kind of blue and gray. Yeah, so I thought that was it's a money saving in a way. That's what stagecraft does, but yeah, it, yeah. it's it, it was very effective. Now this this hits on something that's driven me crazy all season. They can make the um, they did such a good job with the gray council chamber, which is basically just a big dark room with spotlights. Why can't they make the Babylon Five council chamber cool and feel big? That's something right. we've talked about before. It feels like a closet off of that set. I, I just and, and that that will be a frustration all throughout the series. That yeah, that, that chamber yeah. should be grander and bigger, and it oh. looks like it looks like the set of a game show. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That is exactly right. I, I hadn't put my finger on it, but that is it. It's a set of a game show. Whereas the yeah the 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 Great Council Chamber is majestic and in, in its simplicity. Yeah. Yeah. So, huh. It's too bad, too. It's like, yeah, we're going to see a lot more of it. So <laughs> don't don't think they're going to suddenly bring in some oak paneling and, and you know, <laughs> right. brass fixtures and stuff, which is how I feel like it should be to be. Right. You know, I mean, if the, if the freaking Alabama state legislature can have a marble and, and brass hall, how does the, you know, great military powers of the galaxy have a broom closet? I just I don't, right. understand. I don't understand. It should just be bigger. They could even meet out in the garden area in that big open cylinder. That would look cool. Just have like yeah. a have a big thing there, like a space. Uh, yeah, set like aside. have a big like an amphitheater. You could yes. you could easily do that with CGI. Oh. Have a big amphitheater yes. out in the open. Yeah, that would that would have been with, cool with like columns or something to give it conf, to, conf, to yeah. kind of limit the space. Yeah. Oh man, but see, no, we get the little closet. Oh well, uh, but yeah, a lot of sleight of hand, a lot of stuff implied or suspected. So, um, but I but yeah, three point five. That's fine. Uh, any final thoughts about uh, Babylon Squared? Uh, no, other than that, it's one of my favorite sci-fi TV episodes of all time. I have nothing else to say. There you go. That's that's yeah. I and again, I had to wait a long time to see it, so uh, it meant <laughs> a lot to me too. Um, we're going to do spoilers, and I don't have a whole lot. It probably won't take us a couple of minutes. In just a right. second, we're going to give the spoiler warning. But uh, I do have to point out because we like to say what our next installment will cover, and this is significant. On our next episode, we're only covering two episodes because we're covering uh, 121, The Quality of Mercy, and 122, Chrysalis. Now, again, you folks that are watching on HBO Max and seeing them in a different running order for this season, and I, I don't think it does this much after season one, so don't worry. You'll, we'll all be back in simpatico pretty soon. 
But the quality of Mercy, which some of you already watched like episodes ago on HBO, it originally aired as the next to last episode of this season, and that's where we're going to talk about it. So we're going to talk about the quality of Mercy. And then, Andy, we're going to talk about Chrysalis, which is the season finale, and I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. One. That's a good one. So, all right. Here's boop, 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 boop. here's our spoiler warning. If you don't want to know spoilers for the future, go ahead and check out now, and we will see you guys in two weeks. Now, Andy, we I just have a couple of things, honestly. Um, the main thing I have to talk about, the number one thing I want to talk about is Drawl. We get such a big setup here. Clearly, he's going to matter so much. Clearly, he's going to be this massive weapon in case, you know, the war to come and everything. And he ends up just kind of being a dud, doesn't he? I mean, he, he does like one or two more things, and then that's it. JMS, JMS has addressed that. He was worried that Drawl would become the, the deus ex machina, right. the god of the machine. Right. And he wanted the... The story to be about the people, not about the the alien technology. So, um, yeah, they they were setting it up to be something bigger, but then JMS kind of pulled the reins back and said, you know what, that's a little too too much in the wrong direction for. Me. Isn't that interesting? So we yeah. it, we get we, we we they end up really using him mostly to find information that they can't get, and then the holographic projection thing is pretty much the main use. And does, isn't he the one that opens up the rift for to to go grab Babylon Four? Yeah, he just it's it it it's just kind of off camera, so it doesn't always. Right. So yeah, I'm glad you remembered that. Yeah, the the main thing that honestly, to be to be honest with you, the main thing we do get because he does pop up, because Epsilon Three pops up again, I, Draw pops up one more time, and it's a different actor, and then we never see him again. Um, right. The the main benefit is that we get more Zathras. Yes. Yeah. And here here's the funny thing though. If you watch these three episodes, you have no reason to think they have anything to do with each other. Right. Right? Drawl was yep. on Voice in the Wilderness. Zathras is in Babylon Squared. Why would you? I remember when Zathras pops up on, on Epsilon 3 in a later episode, I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. Where did he it's come like from? It, right. Exactly. Did they drop you off there or yeah. what? <laughs> and then you find it, out there's more than one. But, uh, it's 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 like an A plot and a B plot that start out completely having nothing to do with each other, but become intertwined later on. Yeah, that's so that's so weird. That is interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, now the only other. Uh, yeah, I, I I have a note here that it was fun to watch Babylon Squared, knowing what we know later, that the whole space station heist is going on simultaneously. And I have simultaneously in quotation marks because with time travel, who can say <laughs> what's simultaneous? Right. But I love knowing that while they're doing this, they're also doing other stuff at the same quote-unquote time, right? Yeah. We didn't know that the first time we saw it. But looking exactly. back now, this, this episode reads completely different knowing what we know now. Right. And think about how different this this story the the this episode would have been much more impactful or ha had a different future effect on the series if Jeffrey Sinclair had stayed commander of the the Babylon oh, 5 yeah. throughout the series yeah yeah I mean, th definitely this this was i mean unfortunately the the actor doesn't come back for season 2 for health reasons but um just think of where this would have gone i mean this it, it would have been crazy 
Yeah. It, oh, I yeah. mean, it would have it would have been something that sci-fi has never done before. With it would be like Captain Kirk interacting with Captain Kirk from season five of Star Trek, <laughs> and then in season five seeing him interact with himself in season one. You know, it, yeah. It, it would have been uh, something complete, completely well, never done before. So. Well, we we do still get some of that. I, we, what, what, you're right. They they had to make concessions for for the right. the uh, the logistics. Yeah. What we end up getting is cool. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. It's just very different from the original plan. Right. But it, uh, yeah. it still worked for me, though, as we'll get to later. Absolutely. I'm not saying that what we got was was worse than what we could have gotten. I just think of how different it would have been. Yeah. That's the other two-parter, yeah. by the way. We mentioned that there were two two-parters, and that's the other War Without End. And I, honestly, as much as I thought A Voice in the Wilderness did not make a great movie you know, together, War Without yeah. End is awesome. <laughs> it yes, is it so- is. Oh, good. Oh, God. If you guys are cheating and you haven't seen it before, let, we'll just tell you right now, there's some good stuff coming up, yeah. man. Oh, bro. And I, I, I'm curious to, to see how those those episodes did, if they actually did run as theatrical re- releases in Europe, how they actually ended up doing. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. Yeah, but we do. Because I know later... they, they did the same thing with the, the Star Wars. Remember the, the Star Wars movies, the Ewok movies that aired on, on yeah. ABC? Yeah. They did yeah. the same thing, and, and they did pretty well. But there's a tradition that they did that with Space 1999. They they take two episodes yeah. of Space 1999 and, and put them together as a movie. And and Battlestar Galactica too. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, let's see. The only other thing I had. This is my last thing. When Delenn declined to be the leader, did she already have the plan to do the chrysalis thing, or did she come up with that plan? after being given the triluminary or was there something else that convinced her she needed to do that because she seemed to be surprised to be getting the triluminary and like it wasn't something she was expecting but then almost immediately after that she kind of starts her big master plan so i'm just wondering what was in her mind and what the timeline was well whatever was in her mind about the chrysalis was in her mind a couple episodes ago when uh the uh, the the rogue um, psionic girl oh, picked up on her. Remember that? That's right. So, so she was she, at least thinking about it. Yes, that's what I was going to say. She was thinking about it. We don't know if she's planning to do it, and theoretically, she couldn't have done it if she didn't have the triluminary yet. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I, I but you know, here's the funny thing that we're talking about: the single you call it the MacGuffin, exactly right. That 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 makes the least sense temporally in the entire series. It's like it, it, it is, it is whenever it needs to be basically. Right. Right. And, and you know, I'm going to say one more thing about it. Cause I don't think we ever find out what it is, but now that we're in the spoiler section, it looks to me like a piece of technology that was recovered and kind of wired into that little triangle thing I feel like it maybe comes from the first ones or from the future or you know, it it strikes me as something beyond the confines of the Minbari even and this show. Right. I feel like it's right. from outside all that. I, like, I you know I I always thought that Valen had something to do with it. Yeah, since yeah. It is temporarily yeah um, unstable. That uh, Valen has somehow in, introduced it to uh, the Minbari now, culture. I could have seen it coming from the Vorlons, kind of like the third space thing does. And, yeah. and, and in that case, if Sinclair had stayed on the show, you'd have had like a second or third season episode where 
he comes across somehow acquires some Vorlon technology and it ends up going back in time to himself back in the past and it gets sent right. forward for her to use. Interesting. That's that's kind of how I always, in my head canon, as we say, right? That's kind of how I have Right, right. Came from the Vorlons, went to Sinclair back in time to be used by his descendants. I've always yeah, felt I, like Delin... Yeah, Fed Coda was somehow involved. I'm sure. <laughs> and I've always felt like Delin is a descendant of Sinclair. I've always felt like that Ooh, was the case. Yeah, that's always, interesting. Which is how she icky, can... But very interesting. That's how she can turn into half-human. Right. Yeah. You know that. Well, I, I'm wondering if all Minbari have that because chrysalis is something that is part of their culture already. Yeah. Because there's a process for it, and we later find out that the humans, human souls, become uh, Minbari. Right. And I think it starts so, with Sinclair with Valen. That was the key moment that started everything going that way. That's cool. That yeah. man. That's, that's, that's time travel that's, thing again. That's, yep. That's deep. It is. Well, we're going to have lots more time. We'll probably talk about this again when we get our guests on um, right. in, in a couple of weeks or so, I guess in maybe three weeks or something, and uh, we'll see what we think. I, I think I think we're good. Do you think we're good? We're good. I thought this was an awesome discussion. It was. It was. All right, everybody. Um, as always, go to www.b5review.com, click on the button to become a patron, and we will keep doing great shows like this. We think we're great. We think they were great. And uh, keep uh, giving us some feedback. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're all over the place, and I may even have to set up like an email address that people can mail in uh, thoughts and comments and stuff. But yeah, I've been getting I, I some got good my, feedback. I got my first. I got my first bit of uh, fan mail from uh, Facebook about the the podcast. I thought that was kind of fun. Oh, good. They I, did. They have good things to say. They did. They they thought we were doing a wonderful job. Awesome. I'm so excited. Well, we're going to keep it up. All right, man, Andy, uh, take it easy, and we will be back and see you guys down the road with uh, the last two episodes of season one. All right. Sounds good, sir. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.